Welcome to Grace. My name is Chelsea. I'm your worship and production director, and I'm so excited to be here with you guys today for this message. We've been in a series called Curveball, and what that means and and what we're going to be exploring through this series is that when life throws a curveball, what do we do? How do we get through it? And my favorite thing about the name of this series is that a curveball is often thrown as a test. It's often thrown to see if you'll swing out of your zone, and life does this to us so often. And so through this series, we're going to be exploring what to do when life throws you a curveball. Well, first, if you guys will pray with me before we jump into the message. Heavenly Father, we just come before you ready to hear from you today, God. I pray that with each and every breath, with each and every word, Father, that I would decrease and that you would increase, God. I pray um, that you would just allow me to get out of the way, Father, and speak boldly and powerfully to your people this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, all right. I'm a millennial, I think, maybe, but I've got a meme for you guys. Does anybody's life ever feel like this? Your house is on fire, your life is on fire, and you're just sitting in the middle like, yeah, this is fine. A lot of times I know that my life feels like this. What is it for you? What's that fire? Is it relationships? Maybe it's finances. Maybe it's work. Do you find yourself saying, I'm fine. It's fine. Everything is fine. Why do we automatically respond with this when people ask us how we're doing? I do it. I know that I do it. But oftentimes, under the smile and under saying I'm fine, something else is happening because I struggle with depression. Ooh, hard left. Sorry about it, you guys. That's right. Today, we are going to be talking about depression. But truthfully, we're going to be talking about even more beyond that. But what we're going to see in the story today is a story of a prophet who struggles with depression. So we're just going to dive right in. And first, I want to give you guys just a really baseline definition of depression. It says depression is a constant feeling of sadness that negatively affects how you feel, the way you think, and how you act. So this I want to just use as a foundation to build off of. Because depression can be an indicator of even more than that. Sometimes it can even be a defense mechanism to provide a false sense of relief, like numbness, when there's too much happening. But this is an important thing to note, that it affects how you feel, how you think, and how you act. Well, the first time I remember experiencing depression was at 13 years old, and nobody knew. I struggled with it very deeply with no relief for about three years and never told anybody. And you know, when we talk about depression, there are some people that just want to call it life. Life gets hard, it knocks you down, you get back up. But I got to tell you, it's more. It's more than just life. For me, it was lying on the floor sobbing under the weight of hopelessness and uncontrollable sadness. Or oftentimes it was laying awake at night recounting every failed moment of my day. It was a numbness in things that once brought me joy. A restlessness in things that had once brought me peace and an emptiness. Where a lot of times I just didn't feel anything at all. But Jesus followers are supposed to be happy. 
right? As soon as you accept Jesus in your life, life is great, everything works out for you, and you're happy all the time. And I say that with a smile on my face, and I'm hoping that some of you who are Christians are chuckling along with me because we know that that's not true. That's not what God promises us. But the truth is, I thought this for a long time. I have been a Jesus follower my whole life, and I still thought that. So when I struggled with depression, I thought there must be something wrong with me. How could anyone who loves God be depressed? Have you ever thought that? Have you ever felt that or even known somebody who struggles with that? Now here's the thing, this is a super tough subject because everyone's different. Everyone deals with depression differently. Everybody needs something different. And so today, we're not gonna talk about all the technicalities. Instead, what we're gonna do is we're gonna ask, is God in depression? And where? Is God in depression? And you might be thinking, but Chelsea, I don't struggle with this, so I don't know what my friend or my family member or my husband or wife is dealing with, and I just don't know how to help. Well, this message is still for you. Because while we explore what this prophet is going through and how he's struggling with depression, we're also going to see what God does to come alongside him. And that is a message for you of how to come alongside the people that you love. So I want to see if you guys can catch the four things that I'm going to point out at the end of the message. So pay attention. Stay tuned in. This is still for you, too. Well, today, we're going to be looking at a story in the Bible of one of God's most influential prophets. His name was Elijah, and this man was performing miracles all over the place in the power of God. And we're going to see a couple characteristics of his depression today. Isolation, changes in eating and sleeping habits, a hopeless outlook, negative thought cycles, and a lack of purpose. So be on the lookout for those things. Well, to set the scene here, this is a story in the Old Testament. And Elijah, again, he's this amazing prophet. He's been going all over the place doing amazing things, including even raising somebody from the dead. Okay, but here he's coming across a woman. Her name is Jezebel. She's the queen. And this woman is so evil, she has her own definition. I hope that you never get called a Jezebel. If you do, be very, very offended because somebody is telling you, you are wicked to your core. And so this woman, she, this queen, she has instituted the worship of a false god, Baal. And she is forcing her people to worship this false god. And not only that, she is actively going out and killing the prophets of our God, of Yahweh. And so what happens just before we're going to enter into our story is that Elijah has very publicly, very embarrassingly defeated this false god and some 400 prophets that Jezebel had sent. So Elijah has made this huge defeat. And what does Jezebel do? Does she automatically say like, oh, wow, your god is the one true god. Sweet. No. She is angry and she makes sure that Elijah knows that she is coming after him to kill him. And so the thing that I want us to know before we jump into this story is that this is nothing Elijah hasn't come across before. His life has always been in danger. But this time, this time he runs. Why? What's different? Did he forget 
who God was? Did he forget what God had been doing? Well, at this point in our story, we're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 19, and we're going to start in verse 4. And so what we see is that Elijah has fled. He's run away from Jezebel, and he's gone to this far-off land called Beersheba. And it should have been far enough for him to be safe. But what he's going to do is instead, he's going to leave his servant there, his companion, and he's going to go off even further into the wilderness by himself. Isolation. This is our first indication that something more is going on with Elijah. So let's read. 1 Kings 19, verse 4. It says, While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush. He sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Guys, Elijah is praying for death here. This is, this is not a metaphor. He's not saying like, ah, life sucks, kill me. No, he's really saying like, God, take my life. I don't want to be here anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. It's too much. How could this man go from so high to performing miracles, being so close to God, to wanting death? And it was really easy for me to read this for the first time and think, man, how dramatic is this dude? It's nice to see a man being dramatic for once instead of a woman. No, I'm kidding. But how dramatic is he, right? He was so close to God. He was doing things and seeing things that I would kill to see in my lifetime. But the truth is, he didn't forget who God was. No, he knew that God could deliver. In fact, he knew that God was answering every single prayer he was praying, and he still chose to pray this. How low must he have been to truly ask for and want death? Have you experienced this in your life? Even to a smaller degree. Have you ever felt like it's all just too much and you want to run like Elijah did? Do you identify with this feeling of hopelessness? You see, Elijah was worn thin. He needed rest and replenishment. And last week, Scott talked about what rest really looked like, and Elijah wasn't doing it. He needed rest. And this is the beginning of Elijah's story of depression. But God doesn't leave him there. So let's keep reading. In verse 5, it says, Then he lay under the bush and fell asleep. And all at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. Now I got to stop for a second because I got to ask, has anyone here ever had an angel like tap him on the shoulder and bake you some bread? No, it's super weird, right? But the truth is God worked in so many fantastical ways in the Old Testament. It's how he had to work to be close to his people. So I don't want us to get caught up on how like weird or awkward that sounds, right? But instead, what I want us to look at what God is doing here. God is proving to Elijah how present he is. He's caring for his physical needs. And God doesn't do it just once. In the next couple of verses, and we're not going to read them, but the next couple of verses, God does this again. He sends his angel again to provide food and rest for Elijah. You see, God knew 
Elijah needed to be physically strong for the journey ahead. God could see the bigger picture, but Elijah's depression had put blinders on. Okay, he was only seeing what was right in front of him and that was hopelessness. But God could see more. And so he was providing rest and replenishment. God allows Elijah to rest physically before ever addressing him emotionally. Why? Because depression affects our bodies just as much as our minds. I know for me, when I'm, when I'm really deep in it, I stop eating. I forget to eat. And it's, it's not a conscious thought, but I am so focused on whatever I'm feeling, whether it's, it's hopeless, whatever kind of negative thought I have, I'm so focused on it that I stop taking care of myself. So God was doing the most loving thing he could do here. And it seems so simple, right? It seems like it's a no-brainer, but the truth is when you're in it, like I said, those blinders are on. You don't see it. So God is doing the most loving thing he could do. He's providing sustenance and rest and time. And this is an important thing I, I don't want you guys to miss. It's that there is nowhere in this story where God gives Elijah a time limit on his healing. There is nowhere that God says, all right, Elijah, you're done. You're over this. This is now drama. Get up and go. No. God never gives a time limit on healing in this story. God provides rest and replenishment because it matters how you take care of yourself when you're dealing with depression. We have to allow ourselves to rest. Like I said, Pastor Scott talked about this last week, that it's not always sleep. Okay, Elijah did need physical rest. He needed sleep. But rest goes beyond just that. It's something for the soul. Does your soul need rest? Maybe it's something as simple as going out and taking a walk and feeling the warmth of the sunlight when you feel alone. What is it for you? Are you spending intentional time seeking God and asking him for rest and replenishment? You see, the toll Elijah's depression was taking on his body as a whole mattered so much to God that he focused on it first. And he actually waits a whole 40 days before even addressing Elijah emotionally. So we're going to move on in this scripture. And, and Elijah has now been physically replenished. He has traveled 40 days and 40 nights. And you know what? He's had all of that time to rest and reflect. So let's see what he does. Verses 9 through 10, it says, There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Elijah's lamenting. He is hurting. He is hopeless. Those characteristics that we talk about, we've seen the isolation, we saw his changes and his eating and sleeping habits, and now we're seeing a hopeless outlook, a negative thought cycle, and a lack of purpose. He's saying, God, I've done all of these things for you. I've done everything you ask, and still they want to kill me. This didn't turn out how I thought. You see, Elijah's depression started with disappointment and with unmet 
expectations. You know, Elijah probably thought that God's latest miracle would turn Jezebel around, that everybody would be saved and that she would be a changed woman. But when things didn't go exactly according to his plan, he panicked. Those blinders went on and it led him to a place of hopelessness to the point of wanting death. And he truly believed that he was all alone. Are there places in your life right now where you have unmet expectations, where you feel that God has disappointed you? Maybe he hasn't changed that super annoying habit your husband or wife has. Maybe that special someone hasn't walked into your life yet and they should have by now. Or maybe you wanted 2.5 kids by the time that you were 30 and it's just not happening. Do you have unmet expectations? For me, it's been not curing my dad of his leukemia. It's been having less time with him than we thought. These things, most of the time, they're not trivial. Maybe the husband and wife one thing is, but most of the time, these things are not trivial. They are close to our hearts, which is why we are placing those expectations on God. And God has compassion for that. But God can see the bigger picture. You see, Elijah's depression, it started with disappointment, but that disappointment came because he forgot that he was never the one in control. He was never the one in control. He was disappointed in an outcome that God had planned. And I got to admit, that's a super uncomfortable thought for me, that my current circumstances are a part of a bigger plan, but it's true. How many times in our lives has this happened to us? Whether you experience depression or not, we all get thrown curveballs in life and sometimes we just don't know how to deal with them. And when they're not a part of our plan, we panic. But just because we didn't plan for them doesn't mean God didn't plan to walk us through them. I'm gonna say that again, just because we didn't plan for them doesn't mean God doesn't have a plan to walk us through them. So what do we do? How do we combat this in depression? I saw this quote recently that says, your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. And here we can very clearly see where Elijah's strongest thoughts are. And where did they lead him? To isolation, to hopelessness a lack of purpose, and lies. You guys, I am the only one left. This is a lie, and Elijah knows it. See, earlier in the story in chapter 18, Elijah has just come from a place where there are at least 100 other prophets of God hiding from Jezebel in a cave. Elijah just came some 40 plus days from a place where there were 100 other people just like him, so how, 40 days later, and some change, does he think that he's the only one left and he truly believes that he's alone? His emotions have lied to him. They've misled him. 
they've told him that he's alone when he's not. They have clouded his discernment of what is true. You see, our thought life matters. Much of our Christian lives come down to our minds and our thoughts, and it's referenced all over the Bible. If you don't believe me, go look it up, because it matters that much. So what do we do? When we're stuck in these negative thought cycles, what do we do? Well, we're gonna see what God does. God interrupts. We see in that passage how God interrupts what were already thoughts going through Elijah's head. He interrupts them with a simple question. What are you doing here, Elijah? See, I don't know about you, but God has absolutely interrupted my life over and over and over again. I was never supposed to be on stage. I was never supposed to be at this church, and yet God called me here at 18 years old. God interrupted my life. What about yours? In what ways has God already interrupted your life and you just haven't reflected on it? What things were unexpected that became blessings in your life? Are you letting God interrupt your life, your plans, your thoughts? You see, God could have left Elijah there in that cave alone. But instead, he interrupts Elijah's isolation. He interrupts those negative thoughts with the question that reminds Elijah that God is with him. What you allow your mind to focus on matters. And we'll see later how God interrupts Elijah yet again when the negative thoughts don't stop. But it's so important to interrupt our thoughts, to interrupt our isolation, to interrupt our depression as often as we can. Because if we don't, we end up down rabbit holes of our own making that God didn't intend for us to go down. God didn't send us down those spirals. We sent ourselves. Now you would think that by this time, God's interrupted, he's provided for Elijah, you'd think that God would now be fed up, right? You think God would now say, all right, Elijah, you're wrong. You're not the only one, so let's get up and go. No. Like I told you, God never gives a time limit on Elijah's healing. He continues to prove instead that he's simply with Elijah. So let's read on. In uh, verses 11 and 12, the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. God shows up in simple ways. You see, when God brought his presence before Elijah, he had to show him where he wasn't first. He was not the one destroying Elijah's life. You see, I think sometimes that's where we think God is. We think that God is tearing down things in our lives and destroying things, but he's not. He came to Elijah in a whisper after the destruction. 
in the silence that followed. See, a lot of times we're looking for God to show up in dramatic ways, good or bad. But the truth is, often he shows up in the simplest of ways. I mentioned before that my dad was battling leukemia. And in the middle of January, he had gone into the hospital and he didn't come out for 21 days. We didn't expect that. And because of COVID, he was all alone going through treatment. And I got to tell you, there were so many ways that God showed up. And I wish I could tell them all to you, but I'm going to tell you one. You see, one of my dad's closest friends, his daughter-in-law happened to work at the hospital. But she didn't work in the area that my dad was in. And they're not allowed to go in and search for patients and, and find people that they know. But this woman risked her job to do just that, to find my dad and remind him that he was not alone. That was God. And not only that, there were multiple nurses through this 21-day stay that offered to pray for my dad. Maybe it's a song that comes on the radio or Spotify or whatever, and the words are just so perfect for what you're going through. Maybe it's a friend who comes over or texts you at just the right time or a kind word from a stranger. Or maybe it's a message on Sunday where you were pretty sure that the pastor knows what's going on in your life and knew that you were coming because it fits so well. How many times do we miss God showing up in simple ways in our lives because we're still waiting on him to show up in a pillar of fire? And you know, I wonder if Elijah didn't already know to pay attention, would he have missed God in the whisper? Would he have thought that God was in the earthquake or the wind or the fire? Would you have missed it? He is with us. He is with us. We just have to pay attention. And now after being present with Elijah in the next couple verses, God asks him the same question again. What are you doing here, Elijah? And you would think that after being in the presence of God, Elijah would be like, oh man, I'm cured. I don't know what I'm doing here, God. Let's go back. Let's get back on mission. I am fired up. But no, this is my favorite part of this story because I think oftentimes that we think that after we felt the presence of God, we have to be fully healed or fully cured. And that's not always the case because God's presence the purpose of it is not always to cure you. Sometimes the purpose of God's presence is simply to be with you. And so Elijah, he responds to God's question in the exact same way as before. God, I've been zealous for you. They are still trying to kill me. This didn't turn out how I thought. I am all alone. He responds in the exact same way. And now I have to believe that there was at least a little less conviction in Elijah's response after being in the presence of God. But he wasn't cured. His thoughts, they didn't change. It's okay not to be fully healed after being in the presence of God. It's not always the point. God brought his presence before Elijah simply to be with him in the midst of his depression. What if God wants to use your pain? What if God wants to use your depression story? 
would you let him? What if there's a purpose? You see, we in the next verses see that God interrupts Elijah's depression with purpose. God gives purpose. It is who he is. He has placed a purpose on your life, even if you don't know it yet. God doesn't let Elijah stay stuck. He calls Elijah to a new purpose, and he's given you one. And you know, sometimes when when we hear a pastor or a preacher talk about purpose, I think that we can think it has to be some big, grand thing, like I've got to go to Uganda and save as many kids as I can. And that's a beautiful purpose. But what's beneath the action? What's beneath the action is sharing the love and the light of Jesus. What if your purpose is that simple? What if your purpose is that simple and all you have to figure out with God is who to share it with? What if God is already asking you to use your story of depression or grief or whatever it is with somebody around you? Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a random person you see on the street. Who is God calling you to? Where is God giving you purpose? You see, Elijah, he went all over the place to do God's work. He was never called to just one place at one time for one person. No, he was called all over the place to different people. He traveled all over. God used him over and over and over again. And he wants to use you that way too. You see, depression it feels like it can rob us of so much in life. But the truth is, depression can never rob you of your purpose. It can only distract you. And it will, if you let it. But here's the beautiful thing about God, and that's that he didn't intend for us to do life alone. Because it's a lot harder to be distracted or misled when you're in community, when you're around people who are constantly pointing you back to how good God is. And if you didn't catch it, God shows us what that community looks like. Through this whole story, God models community. Now, for those of you who don't struggle with depression, did you catch the things that God did here? We're about to talk about them. There are four super influential things that God did for Elijah in the midst of his depression. He meets Elijah's physical needs. He doesn't give a time limit on healing. He asks questions, and he never tries to fix it. He simply stays present. So is God in depression? Yes. Yes, we've seen in this story, he is all over it. In fact, he is relentless with Elijah. He never leaves Elijah alone. Just because God doesn't part the clouds and send an angel down to tap you on the shoulder and bake you some bread, it doesn't mean that God's not with you. It doesn't mean that God is not in it. And it doesn't mean that God's not healing you. Healing is an open-ended process. Some of us will spend the rest of our lives hurting and healing, and that's okay. God is present with you in that. He's there every step We saw it in this story. He is with Elijah and he is with 
you. There is nowhere Elijah went where God didn't come and find him. God is with you in your deepest and your darkest places because there is nowhere your life, your depression, or your own two feet can take you where God's love can't find you. I'm gonna say that again. There is nowhere your depression can take you where God's love can't find you. If you hear nothing else today, hear that. He is with you. So is God in depression? Yes. He won't leave you and he certainly won't leave you hopeless. In fact, God made sure of it. He gave his only son so that you would never be separated from him ever again. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he wants to be with you. He's just waiting for you to invite him in. And so in a moment, if you're ready to take that step, if you are ready to accept Jesus and accept the love and the presence of God, we're gonna pray a prayer. But first, I wanna speak to my longtime Christians watching this right now. Here's the thing, we pray this every week and we don't always know who is or isn't accepting Christ. But what we can do as a community together is as people are praying this prayer, we can pray for them. Because the truth is there may be somebody online watching this today who is ready but is afraid. And so what I'd like for you guys to do is as I walk them through this prayer, I'm gonna ask you as the church, as the community to be praying for these people for strength and for boldness and for courage as they accept Jesus. Let's pray together. Oh, if you'd like to accept Jesus into your life, you're gonna pray this prayer with me. I'm gonna say, God, I accept you. I accept your love. I accept Jesus as my Lord and my Savior, and I invite you in to my mess. God, I believe in you. Jesus, I believe in you. Come into my life and change me. Father, for the rest of us here, for those, whether they struggle with depression or not, God, I just pray that you would move boldly, Father, that you would continue to show us each and every step of the way in this crazy journey called life, that you are with us, that you are present in the midst. God, that you are here. And I pray that as a community, we would learn how to come alongside people, how to show them your love and your light that we've been given through your son, Jesus Christ. God, we love you. We thank you for all of the ways that you love us so well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I mentioned at the beginning of this sermon that I struggled with depression at age 13, and the truth is I still struggle with it. But there was a three-year period of no relief from this feeling. But something happened when I was 16 years old. You see, we always had this baby grand piano in my house my whole life, and that became my feeling spot. And it made sense because music is something that helps me express emotions that I don't understand. And the underside of this piano was beautiful, so I used to just go and lay under it when I was feeling overwhelmed. 
And then sometimes my brother would come and he wouldn't say a word. All he would do was sit at the piano and play. He was modeling being present with me. And I still remember it to this day. That's how important it was for me. When I was around 16 years old, there was a, a specific day where I was just at my lowest. I was so depressed. I didn't know if there was a point to life. I felt so hopeless. And the truth is, I felt abandoned by God. And then I found the song. And now it's important to note that I, I have absolutely no memory of writing this song. And that's important because I wrote often and always in this green notebook. And I remembered everything, even to this day, that I wrote. But I don't remember writing this song. But when I opened it and I read the words, I remember being so completely and fully overwhelmed by the presence of God. You see, I knew how to play this song and I knew how to sing it, but I had never seen these words before. And as I sang it, I knew that these words were meant for me. I realized that what I held in my hands in my own handwriting was a love letter from God. Finding this song, it didn't cure me of anything. Feeling the presence of God so wholly and completely didn't stop me from ever feeling or struggling with depression again. But it reminded me that God is with me in the midst, that there was nowhere my depression could ever take me where God's love couldn't find me. And here's the thing. I am saying this to you. I am speaking this to you while in the middle of it. In the middle of my own mess, I am preaching this sermon. You see, we lost my dad to leukemia very recently. And I know I'm about to enter back in to a season of struggle, of coming to terms of grief. But I also know that God is with me every step and I'm not afraid. There is nowhere your depression can take you where God's love can't find you. And normally, I'm not one to over-spiritualize, but to this day, that's the only way I can explain it. And to this day, I need those words. And I think that today, someone here, someone watching online, needs these words too. So we're going to play this song. And what I want you to do is I want you to focus and I want you to listen and I want you to be still and let God speak. I promise you I never 
thought you could run and hide You thought the dark would leave you alone You lost your way, lost your way, lost your way And now you're falling, falling, falling fast Reaching for something in the dark around you When you grab hold of me, the light floods through I promise you Thanks for joining us. We love you guys. We're praying for you, and we hope that you have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.